Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Early Duels edition, because this can't wait. Super Cup action. Bring out your posties, your part-time electricians, your Phil Foden's. It's the FA Cup third round. We look in and around the action as Curtis Jones' magic boots sees Liverpool reserve the usual treatment for their neighbours and Man United as disappointing with Wolves as that straw house the three little piggies made. We've got all the big cup stories and the latest from abroad as Swedish fans flatten Zlatan and the French Cup has its 6,000 mile away day. All that plus so much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And it's a very good morning to you, listener. That's right, good morning. Daniel Story's here with us, aren't you, Daniel? Yes, good morning, James. From Football 365 and the I. Indeed. Alongside him, Tom Williams, noted football earth author and earther as well. Good morning, James. Well, indeed. And also caretaker managerings, Matt Davis-Adams. Much more comfortable on this side of the table, I must say. Is it? Yeah. Is it, Matt? Now of match of the day. Apparently so, yeah, yeah. Boom. Match of the Davies Adams, as I now ooh, call him. Ooh, nice. You or see, Matt I, of the Day. I, I went, was going to go Matt of the Day. No. But I didn't say it good. quickly enough. I have to so say, much great I've been away seven days, and I, I come back feeling like Charlton Heston on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so much has happened. 20 Premier League matches, and another, what, 30, 40 or so of these FA Cup things? Incredible. And the FA Cup, I'm sure a lot has been said about its delicate position, this weekend of being almost like the footballing wafer-thin mint to Mr. Creosote after that. Yes. Pretty much the most intense. But it was, I mean, it it wasn't ideal conditions for them to present, you know, the first Mm. full round of the FA Cup. What was it like for you, Daniel? I think you you just have to search for a different kind of joy in it. Everyone moans on about young players not getting pathways and we don't get to see kids given a chance. And actually, this means that we get to see players like Curtis Jones scoring brilliant goals for Liverpool, for example. So I just think you have to look for your joy in a slightly different place. Those AFC Fylde fans that went to Bramall Lane and saw their team lose 2-1 to a Premier League team won't think, yeah, but Sheffield United made a load of changes so it didn't count. They'll think it was as good as it would have been. So I, I, I think we just look for the joy we can find it. That's a really nice positive take on it. My, my problem with, <laughs> with the FA Cup is that I feel that is been largely discredited by the VAR at some games and not at others. I just, I just think that makes it you a and your bit VAR, of a nonsense. Matt. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty boring argument. But generally, as Daniel says, you get to see players you don't often see and you get to see matches that you don't often see. And, you know, if you can't find some joy in that, then maybe this isn't the sport for you. Right. But it's probably still the podcast for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like Christmas, the FA Cup's for the kids. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, and as Daniel says, we've seen, um, because of the amount of rotation uh, that, has, that has taken place in these matches, players who we have not seen much of before, players who we might not have heard of before. One example, uh, Adam Eder, uh, Norwich City Academy graduate, hat-trick in a 4-2 win at Preston. And it, these games can serve as launch pads for players like this. I mean, the, the three of us were all at Stamford Bridge today watching Chelsea, Nottingham Forest. And a year ago, it was in a, uh, in a cup game against Forest that Callum Hudson-Odoi produced one of his first really eye-catching performances. And now he's an England international and, and someone who is very familiar to all of us. So, yeah, I mean, I think partly because of the draw, the fact that we didn't get that many potential giant killers things um you know also the fact that filed with the only non-league representatives left in you, you need those smaller clubs for the romance to you know to, to really exist but you know there are there are storylines there if you're prepared to look for them absolutely there were plenty of teams crashing out amongst some brighton last year's semi-finalists a palace at the hands of derby and Villa seen off by Fulham with a pair of beauties. Also not reading the script and earning money-spinning replays. Tranmere Rovers, who came back from 3-0 down away at 2019 finalists. Watford, we'll talk more about that game later on. Rochdale, who held Newcastle to a 1-1 draw. Daniel, I know you're all up in that match. And Man United, who you'll be desperately keen to talk about as they failed to produce a single shot on target at Molyneux. Arsenal-Leeds is on Monday... That'll be straight after the draw for the fourth round. But let's get you all stuck in on what's happened this weekend with Matt. This. Touched up for Adam Reach, deflected goal. Sheffield Wednesday ahead. It's been coming. They've been the better team by far in the second half. 
And Adam Reach gives the championship side the lead. Boom, Matt Davis-Adams out of match of the day there with the Sheffield Wednesday's winning goal away at the Amex. Yeah, it sounds like a match of the day commentary, which is the greatest compliment I can give to it. I yeah. liked it. It yeah. was it was no nonsense, Matt. It did the job. Importantly, you avoided the temptation to pun on the surname of goal scorer Adam Reach, which must have been very what tempting. What would you have done with that, Tom? Reach for the sky. S Club 7. Reach for the stars. Reach for the stars. Wednesday reach the fourth round. Has Adam put this out of reach for Brighton? Yeah. Um, I want to thank him, actually, because if he hadn't scored that goal and it hadn't been an upset, they probably just would have got somebody to voice over the one goal that would have been in the game and I wouldn't have been on at all. So thanks, Adam. Because you tweeted after, let's never speak of this match again. Why was it so bad? It was really dreadful. I mean, it was one of those with with multiple changes, but um, Sheffield Wednesday were the better team in the second half, definitely, but I was ever so disappointed with, with Brighton. I mean, they made a lot of changes, but they did have Neil Morpay up front. Hmm. Uh, the problems that they had were the two wing backs, Guyton Bong and Ezekiel Scalotto, who just didn't really offer anything going forward, and uh, Eves Basuma, who played in central midfield, having had a real stinker against Chelsea on New Year's Day. Same again here for him. But Wednesday, to say that they'd made so many changes, had a teenage debutant at the back, were actually quite impressive. Uh, in the second half, they were in no form coming into this game, having lost right. three in a row in the league. Uh, and yeah, very disciplined performance from them. Did Brighton turn off the power sockets in their dressing room for <laughs> Wednesday? No, that would have been a nice touch. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Gary Monk sticks around at Sheffield Wednesday for a bit because he's on his fifth club as a manager already which seems like an extraordinarily high amount to me and he's quite a kind of spiky guy and mm. and yeah, if this is the place where it's going to stick for him then great but uh, my, my cynicism... Uh, being a Forest supporter who enjoyed a win against a Premier League club a few years ago is that you then get drawn against another championship club in round four and go out and you quickly forget about this. But oh. it's certainly, you know, we spoke about the cup and the changes and everything. It can definitely have a, a galvanising effect on the team that wins. You know, he, his team talk post-match would have been, yeah, you lost three in a row, but you've just come to last season's semi-finalist Premier League team and beaten them. So we'll take that into our next championship game. It's certainly a saga Ugahide, is it? Yes. The defender whose contract had run out at AFC Wimbledon and was picked up and Gary Monk gave him a start in this game and he, he was delighted. When the game was going on, the, like, the crowd maybe, when I came out, I was looking around, I was like, wow, like this is a proper match day. And then when, even when the crowd got up, I was getting happy, like, even, like it was just, I, I love it, man, I just love it. If anybody has their doubts about the FA Cup, just watch that interview. I mean, it, it's really it sort of restored my faith in football in wow. a very weird way. He was just so happy and everything. He, it was like, as he was giving the interview, more things came to his mind. He's like, oh, we kept a clean sheet. And it's that a Premier League club yeah. and it's the first time and it's just like oh somebody's you know. it also matters because it's not just about him impressing Gary Monk and trying to get into the league team it's also the fact that at some point he'll probably go out on loan and as with Adam Eder at Norwich if the only evidence you've got is them doing something very well when under a huge pressure to perform and they're one opportunity that kind of matters to scouts they'll see that and go well he's really got something about him he can deal with the situation so yeah fair play to him if he was happy what must Curtis Jones be feeling today <sighs> I mean, he is a, you know, he speaks to any of the coaches at Liverpool and, you know, all around the club. And he is an absolute bona fide star in the making. He will probably have to go out on loan, I suspect, at least once to get the regular football he needs because they've got so many options. But he is an absolute superstar in the making if he wants to be and if he stays fit because he's got everything. Yeah. Curtis Jones, who is 18 years old, got his first start, I think, first senior start. In this competition, third round a year ago, mm-hmm. because his first senior goal in the Merseyside derby, which was the big fixture of this third round of, of this year's competition, uh, a first half that had been dominated by Everton, but uh, a game that was resolved by this wonder strike. Jones, Cole! Bill Shankly's famous quote, the city has two great teams, Liverpool and Liverpool's reserves. Ouch, Tom. Well, yeah, never has that never has that quote resonated quite so strongly. Liverpool made nine changes, um, started with five uh, teenagers in their starting 11. Everton were basically full strength. As you said, created plenty of chances in the first half. Adrian made a load of saves, but none of them saves that... You know, you you wouldn't expect a goalkeeper of that of that caliber to make of that um, caliber of that caliber. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you know, we're not talking about like a Roberto here. Mm-hmm. So and uh, yeah, so you know, a pretty pretty dismal afternoon for Evertonians. We obviously, haven't seen their team win at Anfield since 1999. Um, and so you feel like some of the early. Uh, optimism that Carlo Ancelotti's arrival and those first two wins that he got against Burnley and Newcastle created is probably starting to dissipate now. I think I think had you know had they lost to more of a a full strength Liverpool, it wouldn't have been um, you know such a, a difficult one. They're, they're pretty used to that. Um, but um, yeah, to lose to such a weakened Liverpool team, particularly after you saw what Aston Villa did to a weakened Liverpool team in the League Cup, right. um, will will probably be a difficult one. The other name that a lot of people were taking note of was Minamino was making his yeah. first start. How, how did he? Yeah, he was he was he was in and out. I think it, the two players that looked the business from from the game were were Curtis Jones and and Harvey Elliott, who is astonishingly still only 16 years old. That is a boy playing, not just a man's game, but playing in a Merseyside derby against, uh, as Tom says, a pretty much full-strength Everton team. And the swagger and confidence he's got on the ball is is remarkable. I mean, I know they they brought him in. You know, he's a, he's a, a tick in the box of the recruitment rather than the academy per se. But yeah, again, has all the talent and has that swagger that just he wants to belong there. He thinks he belongs there already. At the other end of the age scale, James Milner going off injured in in the uh, opening minutes, which I guess is why managers rest senior players in these fixtures. Yes, Daniel and I are smirking because as we were on the tube en route here from Stamford Bridge, uh, a couple of lads uh, started shouting James Milner at Daniel Mm, um, because they thought he was a a lookalike. Well, they they, they claimed that I was James Milner. Oh, did they actually? Yeah, they said, have you got your boots in that bag? It was was a laptop bag, so... The shape isn't exactly right. It's then they, they downgraded that to shin pads when they realised it wasn't wide enough. But yeah, he thought I was James Milner, which is interesting. I mean, I don't think it's a compliment, is it? Okay. Is there, there's a picture of you on the Totally Football Show website, totallyfootballshow.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. If there's not, we'll put one. It'd be funny if we put a James Milner picture. Yeah, that would be a boring Daniel story. Some might say fair enough, yeah. <laughs> it's like a sort of better-looking James Milner. I see where it comes from, the sort of chiseled jaw. Right. He's a bit more keep developed. Talking, keep talking. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's <laughs> clearly done a lot of sports. Pretty versatile, too. Mm. But won't be doing too much sports for a, for how long? How long is he going to be? Uh, well, it's a, it looks like a hamstring injury, so it's mm. going to be weeks rather than days. Um, and Liverpool are picking up now a few injuries, but... You look at the performances of those young players and the future looks pretty dark for every other Premier League team because not only have they got the best first team in the Premier League at the moment, it looks like they've got the best youth team as well. Right. Things looking pretty good for Liverpool, rather less so for Everton. There was a lot of talk about Carlo Ancelotti knowing how to beat Liverpool in the run-up to this. (laughs) He clearly knows how to lose to them too. Uh, Matt Jones of the Blue Room podcast tweeting afterwards, that's worse than any derby performance I've ever seen. Spineless group of players, a disgrace. Strong words. Let's see if he still feels that way as he joins us now. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Matt Jones of the Blue Room podcast. Hello. <laughs> Hello there. Hello there. So, oh, um, dear me. So you had some harsh words to say about that Everton performance are you still feeling quite so strongly? Yeah, well, as, as we as we talk now, it's probably about two hours since the game, and I probably stand by a, a lot of what I said. Um, obviously, Everton down the years have lost derby matches in the most heartbreaking and hilarious, well, hilarious Liverpool fans uh, way possible. They've conceded hat tricks to Liverpool captain. They have lost in last minute games at Anfield. They've lost in last minute games at Goodison. They've lost in the last minute at Wembley. Um, they lost in a comical way last season where the ball hits the, the crossbar uh, twice and Divocary heads the ball home. And tonight they lost against um, a Liverpool second, third string side. Um, it was huge, huge disappointing. I think, you know, looking at the the bookmakers' odds before the game, going into it, Everton were the favourites, and that was that was staggering to me given Everton's record at Anfield. But going to the ground today, I think we all sort of thought the the experience of the Everton team and the you know, quality in inverted commas of the Everton team would offset uh, what Liverpool had out today, but uh, it didn't materialise at all. And Everton was spineless. Everton showed very little uh, at all throughout the game. And I want to use a lot of stronger words now, but ultimately Everton showed why they are where they are in the Premier League table at the moment and why they're in what is effectively a relegation battle still in the Premier League. Um, there were there were positive signs in in the first half, Rather less in the second. What did this tell you about Ancelotti and his his role in in, in Everton's recovery? 
I don't think it tells us much about Carlo Angelotti. Yeah, I imagine Carlo Angelotti, looking at what happened tonight, will have learned a lot more about the players and, the, and this football club because, you know, it, it feels quite minuscule in the grand scheme of Everton at the moment. But when, you, when it comes to Merseyside derbies, Everton ultimately lose this fixture and they lose this fixture in a calamitous way. That, that's just how it's, it, it's been that way for 20 years. It's been that way when Everton have been better than Liverpool. It's been that way when Everton have been about the same sort of standard as, as Liverpool when David Moyes was in charge. That's just how it's, how it's been for a long time. But in the grander scheme of things and, and where Everton want to go as a football club, I imagine he would have learned a lot about the football players he saw on the pitch tonight. Um, certainly in regards to the, the central midfield players, you look at Gilfie Sigurdsson and Morgan Snyderlin, who were two of the most experienced footballers on the pitch, who were very passive, didn't really want the ball, and when they got the ball, were quite cowardly in, in the way in which they used it uh, in front of a, a, you know, a rock that Anfield atmosphere. It was all very disappointing. Um, and I think, you know, Carlo Ancelotti is coming to this football club and I imagine, you know, he's had a good time of things over the first two games, getting good wins over Burnley and Newcastle. Reality would have dawned on him today. Um, you know, the, the City game, I imagine he would have been quite pleased with aspects of the performance, but certainly today, I imagine he would have looked at that squad and the players he has at his disposal and thinks, I have got a hell of a job on here. And in terms of derbies, as you say, not since 1999 have you won this fixture and if not now, when? Well, yeah, well, that, that, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's going to be a long time and we're looking at effectively here at a another group of Everton players that have been scarred by this fixture. You know, when we had David Moyes in, in charge and we had, a, a, you know, a pretty good side that would would finish regularly between the, you know, between the, the, the top six, you know, in, in the Premier League table and we had good players. It, it felt as though those players were sort of scarred by what, what had been happening at Anfield and ultimately that that's why down the years they weren't performing at the venue but you know people like Tim Cale and people like Mikel Arteta have gone now Everton have got a completely different squad they've got new players they've had new managers and it feels very much a case of this is just under the fingernails and under the skin of the football club now where when Everton go to Anfield they can play a shrink style like they did in December and beat us 5-2. They can play a reserve team like they did tonight and win 1-0. They could play the under-16s and probably get us back to Gulls Park through a replay. That, that, that's just how it is. But in terms of Everton's overall progression and where Everton want to go, that's a minuscule thing at the moment. Liverpool are effectively Real Madrid or Barcelona towards at the moment. Everton needs to concentrate on making incremental gains and moving their way up the Premier League table. They can't even look at Liverpool at the moment. But the frustrating thing tonight is that that wasn't really Liverpool. That was Liverpool's second string. Maybe not even that. Maybe not even that. Um, and that's the most frustrating thing about it all tonight. All right, Matt. Well, listen, you'll have them back at yours on the 14th of March. Uh, here's to better times ahead. Well, I've been looking at that, James, and I've seen that uh, if Liverpool and Manchester City and Leicester go along at their respective uh, points totals, then Liverpool could win the league at Goodison Park on that particular day. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, when, when it comes to uh, when it comes to this season, the joy keeps on coming for Everton, but uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But uh, we, we've got a world-class manager in charge of us now, and you know, if anyone's going to sort this all out, then you'd have to say Carlo Ancelotti is the man to do it. All right. Well, more of this kind of thing on the Blue Room podcast reaction to the derby, which is out already. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, but that is out now. Myself and my colleague Mark Moses did it after the game at Anfield, and we'll have our of a show out on Wednesday this week. Looking ahead to the game against Brighton. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute, or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty, or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Those FA Cup stories keep on coming, Matt. Comeback of the weekend. Tranmere. Away at Vicarage Road against Watford. Watford 3-0 up. They end up drawing 3-3. What on earth happened here? It's worth putting out, by the way, that Tram are in the relegation zone in League One. They're not They're not promotion contenders or anything. I know Watford made nine changes and, you know, I feel for their squad because you make Nigel Pearson angry, it's probably not a great thing. Imagine there might be some hard running sessions right. uh, down at the training ground this weekend um, but Mickey Mellon the, the Tranmere manager said we showed them too much respect in the first half and then got stuck in in the second it, it's as simple as that and it's it's always good to mention Mickey Mellon because it's 
what the best name in football right he made them melancholy <laughs> yeah quite excellent Copper FA Cup penalty as well from Paul Mullin it stayed here three minutes it? from time long VAR review build up the nerves this to keep Tranmere in the cup against Premier League Watford and yeah hammers it down the middle Jeremy Vardy style great yeah. scenes did you enjoy the goals from Fulham as they downed Aston Villa? Oh, two sensational goals. Um, Anthony Knockhart with his own brand of sort of sub Iron Robin cutting in from the right and bending one into the top left, which you assume is going to be the best goal that you see um, in that particular game. But no. Um, when was it? About 50 minutes left. Harry Arter picks the ball up about 30 yards out in the inside left channel. Absolutely spanks one into the top left corner. First goal for Fulham for him. Uh, and Villa, albeit a much-changed Villa, out of the competition. Aston Villa have not won an FA Cup game for four years. Extraordinary. Which, is, which takes some doing. I think mm. it's always worth pointing out that Harry Arter is uh, Scott Parker's brother-in-law, the manager. Just quite enjoy that that family tie. Because uh, he got sent off earlier in the season and the camera cut to Scott Parker, who looked cross, and you can kind of imagine him composing a text. Your, your brother's an idiot. And then he's <laughs> right. made it up in spades with that. Wonderful strike. Sensational. Bournemouth beat Luton... And after 12 months, 31 appearances and 37 shots, it happened. Dominic Solanke scored his first goal for the Cherries. Yeah, and they need that to be a uh, a little boost for their league form, as I always say. Callum Wilson also scored and he needed that goal because he's on a bit of a drought himself. Mm. Derby County, uh, Wayne Rooney's Derby County. Very good. Official name. Beat uh, Crystal Palace. Was that a surprise? It was given their yeah, away form, no? It was, and it was given because Crystal Palace actually picked a reasonably strong side. You know, they, they made changes, but they brought in senior players rather than kids. So, mm. yeah, I think that is a bit of a surprise. What was a surprise as well was Michael Oliver going across. Mm. I, I, was this a coincidence that Raphael Honigstein had been speaking out on VAR issues? It was a coincidence, yeah. <laughs> and then Raphael Michael Oliver that. trots over mm. to the I think I think genuinely he feels like he has more power in the FA Cup because... Is this Sonic State, you know, Michael Oliver? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, uh, to, to look at it, because the Premier League have obviously put down their own rules or guidelines to referees. And the, yeah, I think it's a guideline. I've not heard Yeah, that no, it's it is actually, a guideline. But he actually went across and had mm. a look. And, and, and it changed his decision. No, it did change his decision. I mean, he'd okay. given a yellow card to Luka Milivojevic and upgraded it to a red. Right. What, what I meant was that I think even at Stockley Park, they would have said oh, that was... okay. But yes. I'd, lo- I'd love to know if the, if the, the VAR had said to him why don't you go and have a look at it or whether he'd taken it upon himself to go and do it. But I, we did see a, a consequence of referees going over to the monitor of all the, well, not all, but a group of supporters near the monitor screaming in his face and, and you know, shouting abuse at him while he was trying to watch it. So that's maybe a consequence we haven't thought too much about. He needs to have a sort of VAR headset on that he can oh, bring yeah. over his eyes in the centre circle. <laughs> a VR, VAR. VAR, exactly that, yes. There you go, the future. Meanwhile, you three all went to Stamford Bridge. Indeed. Did you kind of hang out together there? Or, or what? Didn't even see these two actually. I think it's a, I think it's a press broadcast thing that uh, you know, right? Keep, keep the two gangs apart. <laughs> okay, this was for a, an evocative fixture: Chelsea taking on Nottingham Forest hmm. uh, in particularly exciting kits. These were commemorating the fiftieth anniversary of Chelsea's first FA Cup win. Yeah, they had uh, lots of the class of 1970 came out on the pitch at, at half-time for a, for a chat in the wave as well, which was nice, but uh, it's a really, really cool kit. I mean, there's part of you that thinks it's it's a way to, to get a bit more money out of supporters, but luckily they've done it really well. They kind of disguised the sponsor, uh, had just numbers, no names on the back of the shirt in yellow, and it looked really, really smart. Right, so it's, it's a deep blue. It's very... It looks from a distance like the only thing on the front of the shirt is the club crest. Right. But it's because the sponsor logo and the kit manufacturer logo have been sort of covered up in blue. But if mm. you look a bit closely, you can see them. A very pleasing very shade of blue, I thought. Mm. I Almost prefer Brazil... it to Chelsea's normal colours. Right. Yeah. But I think blue and yellow is slightly nicer com- um, Adam Hurry also was... Put, he said, I would back a tasteful retro kits only policy in the FA Cup, which would surely restore at least 80% of the magic. I would not be surprised if clubs went in well, for that was, as well. There was a, I read a thing of, that they were having a retro weekend because obviously Arsenal brought out that range of their, their bruised banana merchandise right. uh, with Ian Wright kind of fronting that. And yeah, I... I'm, I thought there was a, an idea for a retro weekend where, again, it's probably to sell shirts, but they are better shirts. So. Could we not? Could we not have teams also adopting a particular decades? So you'd have sort of Corinthian-style baggy shorts taking yes. on very tight 
as singlets and, and, and... Early 70s shorts, yeah. yeah. But the key is to do it well, isn't it? That's the thing. Everybody is, is talking it? as we are now about how nice the kit is, not mm. the fact that they've produced a different kit which is available for sale purely for the FA Cup. Smart. What happened in the game? Not much. Chelsea won it at a canter for the third season in a row. Forrest went to Stamford Bridge, picked a reserve side and didn't lay a glove on them. <laughs> there was some vast stuff that went on, uh, but it was a rehabilitative, is that a word? Uh, restorative performance for Callum Hudson-Odoi certainly who's, who's really struggled since he came back from injury um, so he was delighted to be up against Yuri Ribeiro for 90 minutes which is a perfect way uh, to get his confidence back um, Chelsea actually picked quite a strong team that's the thing you know we talk about the FA Cup is the chance to, to give the kids a go well that's what Chelsea have been doing in the Premier League so you right. had Mateo Kovacic and Jorginho and Batshuayi who's obviously an experienced international Emerson Willy Caballero etc ten, uh, 10 senior internationals Reese James, the only non-senior international for Chelsea, and he was, other than Hudson Odoi, probably the best player, wasn't he? So yeah, I mean, that's, it's a heck of a strong team they've picked. Yeah, Forest by contrast, uh, ten academy players in the match day squad. Mm-hmm. Only one who started the previous league game. He came off at half time. Um, Sabri Lamushi in the pre-match saying we have no chance of winning this game which is an interesting tactic for a, a manager to adopt in that on your dressing room yeah yeah um, and and so it proved I mean Forrest could point to the fact that if the game was in the League Cup or at the City ground and VAR wasn't in operation they'd have had a penalty and a goal that wouldn't have been ruled out and it might have finished 2-2 but that would be extremely generous because Forrest had one right. shot on target in the game and, and Chelsea thoroughly deserved to win Tom did you enjoy your trip? I did, I did. And yeah, and just to pick up on the theme of um, exciting teenagers, 17-year-old Alex Mighton, uh, who started for Forest, really impressive, got on the ball a lot, would have had a penalty had it not been for one of those millimetric offside calls um, and generally looked like, you know, he, he didn't look um, phased by anything. So uh, yeah, one for the future. Very nice. Uh, he's he... a, he's a, an England under-18 international who's been linked with Dortmund and Liverpool and and again the, the issue now is where does he get his football because after the game Sabri Lamucci said my main target my number one target for January is getting a new striker as, as backup to Lewis Graben and when a 17-year-old striker has just been your team's best player by an absolute mile. It's a bit of a shame, I think. I understand why Lamucci is under pressure to bring in an, a, an experienced player, but it's a shame that his only take from that game is we still need a striker because he was he was excellent. Speaking of this, Curtis Jones mm. is playing regularly for the under-23s. Yes. Are there any question marks about whether he's going to be happy with that, whether he's going to get... Because breaking into the, that mm. Liverpool side... Well, Liverpool, is, Liverpool's thing at the moment seems to be wait till a player gets to 18-19 and then loan him to the Championship, basically. They've just sent Herbie Kane out to, to Hull on loan. Um, so they will give that, give them Championship-level football and then break in. But it, the, the thing with this is it always takes circumstances to give players that chance. The only reason Trent Alexander-Arnold broke into the team initially was because Nathaniel Klein was injured and Joe Comas was injured, so he got a chance. So they'll always rely on a bit of fortune, but I suspect the plan is to send them to the Championship on loan, impress there, then try and break into the Liverpool team. That under-23 Premier League, is uh, it's a bit of a graveyard, actually. Uh, mm. in, in the under-18 uh, version, you, you tend to see players of potential the under 23 can often be players who are just about to miss the boat so if you're if you're 20 and older and you're playing in that then there's a good chance that you're not going to be a Premier League footballer because you ought to be out on loan at that stage really rather than playing in in PL2 as it's called I, I, I'm sorry to self-plug but I wrote a, a piece or column for the I last Friday in which I advocated either getting completely rid of the loan system or having mandatory caveats in contracts where young players if they're not playing for their parent club have an option to break their contract and go out because you're absolutely right that under 23 is is effectively a charade it's full of players who either won't make it at their club or are coming back from injury and therefore playing at half pace and it's it's not football you would want to watch is it you're listening to the totally football show with james richardson sheffield united Ka-ching! 11 changes for you as you helped Brexit rally staging filed help take back control of their Canada without any pesky FA Cup regulations in the future. Uh, plenty of interest in this one, not least the fact that Fylde actually scored a goal, didn't they? Yeah, and our, as, as Tom said at the top of the show, I think the, the only non-league team, or were the only non-league team left that's in the right, competition. That's 104 places below. Mm. Yeah, that's always Sheffield that's United. when you know it's a good FA Cup tie when you, you are given the number of places between the teams. They they will be obviously very pleased with the work. They're not quite the, without wanting to 
you know, unnecessarily poor score on them. They're not quite the fairy tale journey in that they are very much the money bags of of the National League and are mm. looking to get promoted. I've pretty been quickly. to Fylde, actually. Yes. There's an extraordinary kind of uh, outside the executive suites and you know all the VIP areas. There's this there's this uh, corridor of kind of British sporting heroes. Um, you went for your inauguration, did you? <laughs> no, actually, no, in fact, presumably they're keeping a little little corner mm. but um but no it's it's very much you know great britain starts here and uh but yeah they they are an ambitious lot yeah. but sheffield united proved too much for them with an interesting team which featured jack rodwell and ravel morrison yeah ravel morrison had a goal disallowed didn't he i was i was sort of forgetting about him it's been it's been quite disappointing that he's not been able to have an impact but we know why that is it's you know not necessarily anything to do with him but but how good Sheffield United have been. And, and the, the good thing for them, obviously, they made changes for this game, but they are in such a healthy position in the Premier League that they're the type of team that you think could do what Brighton did last season and get to the semi-finals because you start to get to kind of fifth round, I always think, with the FA Cup. If you're in it, you think, right, OK, now this is something that we can take seriously. Um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be toward the latter stages of the competition. I was going to say draw pending, but they get an away draw at a tough team. Their away record's yeah. phenomenal this season. Very so, true, yeah. Ethic up full of uh, so many wonderful moments. Uh, how about the PA announcement at Bramwell Lane? Is there a qualified referee in the house? Like FA Cup bingo. Norm- normally in, in the kind of qualifying rounds, but nice to have it at a Premier League stage. So this was assistant referee Peter Kirkup uh, falling ill, and they put out that uh, uh, appeal over the public address system, and young Tyler Machin, or McKinn, uh, who's he's a teenager... He was uh, watching in the stands. He, he put his hand up. He'd already officiated a local league match in Worksop in the morning, and he took over as fourth official. I presume. How does it work? Do he, they? He check must have his... had to show some ID. Must yeah. Were well, they? So they, well, they, they let me through. I'm a qualified. <laughs> they effectively <laughs> upgrade every position, so the fourth official then becomes. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, at Stamford Bridge today, the half time was delayed by ten minutes because one of the officials had we were told, was had sustained an injury and therefore oh. the half would be delayed. Uh, so maybe it's catching. I don't know. OK. That happened back in the day um, at a match. I've forgotten all of the details except for the fact that the only qualified referee who answered the call was Jimmy Hill, who yes. was there on uh, broadcasting duty. Julie donned a tracksuit uh, and, and ran the line for the second half. Tom knowledge, Tom. Spurs, who boasted a full-strength side, is that fair? Close to, yes. With Sun Young Min back from suspension, were held 1-1 at Jonathan Woodgate's Borough. Curiously, who scored the winner last time Spurs actually won anything at all ever? Mm. Jonathan Woodgate. That was the 2008 League Cup final under Wandy Ramos. Mm. Back in those dark days. One day in your life. One day in your life. <laughs> but anyway, so this finished 1-1 and they'll have a, a, a replay. Also having a replay, Cardiff and Carlisle. Cardiff roaring back from 2-0 down to 2-2 in front of just 5,000 fans. Yeah, I saw uh, 7,000 at Birmingham Blackburn. It's those games between non-Premier League team and non-Premier League team where the FA Cup does really struggle. And to be honest, it always has. It's just those games have been instantly forgettable, so we've moved on. But yeah, that's a real low blow. There's got, there must be a reason why clubs don't do this. But but for a game like that, why don't you just say adults are tenner, kids for a well, it quid? Was, it, it was, at, at Birmingham, it was 12 quid for adults, uh, which is probably as low as they think they can go, and yet they still only got 7,000 there. So that just suggests very little appetite for the, for the football. Right. Gillingham? are out of the competition. West Ham beat them 2-0 Sunday night. Goes from Jabaleta and Four Nows in the 93rd minute. Winning David Moyes continues his winning run. Ha! Critics in your face. Rochdale, as predicted by Michael Cox on this very podcast, held Newcastle. 17-year-old Luke Matheson, uh, who oh he, he got the goal in, uh, in the League Cup, didn't he, when they took Man United mm. to... Was it a penalty shootout? Yes. yes. Yeah. But anyway, he crosses here to 40-year-old, crikey, that's an age difference, 40-year-old Aaron Wilbraham to equalise. And uh, hey, presto, Newcastle find themselves with a real issue because they've got defensive injuries mm. galore and they've got Rochdale coming back to theirs. When when will that be? Uh, I think probably a week on Wednesday. Yeah, 14th right. and 15th of January, yeah. I think, yeah. Did they- you know 
that despite entering the FA Cup each year in the first round, Rochdale have actually reached the fourth round more times in the last six years than Newcastle have. Yeah, well, Newcastle haven't reached the fifth round under Mike Ashley's ownership, which is, given that they've entered the third round every year, is is almost harder to do than than not. Um, they, they, one answer to their defensive crisis might be to play Joel Linton there because he certainly ain't scoring <laughs> goals at the moment, is he? Uh, Steve Bruce said he wanted to pick him. He picked his strongest team, said he wanted to pick him to give him some confidence. He then misses two really easy chances and gets dispossessed for the Rochdale equaliser. And yeah, it's fair to say that the, the opinion has now turned or on uh, Joel Linton on Tyneside because yeah, they, he is pretty abject for a £40 million striker. Mm. And the Manchester sides, who meet midweek, Tom, in that League Cup semi-final. Very differing fortunes for them this week in the FA Cup. Shall we talk first about Man United Wolves, nil-nil? Yeah, I watched this and regretted my decision to do so for pretty much the entirety of the match. Was there nothing that you enjoyed? I mean, there were, there were a few things. We had two shots on target in the entire game, and as you said earlier on, United... Neither of which were for United. Neither of which were They did hit the crossbar through Marcus Rashford okay. um, shortly after he came on, um, but prior to his entrance, they looked pretty poor. Um, Wolves made a lot of changes as well, but I mean, you looked at the, the, the team that United started, Sergio Romero, Brandon Williams, Andreas Pereira, Matic, Tahith Chong... I mean, we know that Man United's first eleven isn't much cop this season. So when they're not even picking those players, probably shouldn't be a, a surprise that you know, there isn't all that much to write home about. Liven up a little bit towards the end. Uh, Wolves had a goal ruled out. Matt Doherty with a header that bounced in off his arm. Uh, and then Raul Jimenez, who, similar to Rashford, really kind of livened things up when he came on. He had a shot against the post. Uh, but yeah, generally pretty dreadful. United have played 31 games this season, which is one of the reasons they were resting players. But the irony is they now get another one. Wolves, mind you, have played 36. So not a replay that either will really be fancy. No. First time in five years in a domestic game that United have not had a shot on target. Wow. Which is Although it's the second time this season. Yeah. They did it against uh, AZ Alkmaar. Indeed, in the Europa League. Uh, both Solskjaer and Nuno after the game were, were saying that we'd preferred a penalty shootout rather than the replay, which sounds a silly thing to say. But actually, in the FA Trophy hmm. now, although replays are the standard, if both teams agree before the game that they will settle it with a penalty shootout rather than a replay, then they can choose to do that themselves. So that is a kind of possible idea for the FA Cup if teams want to do that. I just thought we have this idea that different rules for matches in the same competition is mm. a complete no-no, but actually it does happen. Man City, meanwhile, they don't need a replay. After their 4-1 win over Port Vale, Tom Pope's Port Vale, oi, oi, oi. Yes. Notoriety is Tom Pope. Actually, you wrote a, a, a fascinating piece, Tom, about going viral... It seems like yes. uh, you, you know you could learn a lot from Tom Pope and his social media traction. Yeah, although I don't expect he'll be giving out too many social media pointers in the light of this morning's tweet. When I saw the tweet that has got him into this bother, or right. which may get him into bother, I assumed it was something that he tweeted years back that had been dug up by... And even uh, then would be pretty reprehensible. Yeah, but for him to have decided to use the profile that he now has after his Twitter banter at John Stones' expense um, to perpetuate an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory was a curious choice. Yeah. Somebody asked him, how do you think... So uh, Now predict how World War III will end and he starts banging on about the Rothschilds taking mm. control of the, the World's Bank. And mm. The FA have now announced that they are investigating the tweet, so right. he will presumably quite rightly receive a a significant ban and I didn't suspect he was that much of uh, a moron but I did suspect that there may have been an undertone of that I was quite enjoying it until that point from a distance admittedly the dressing room selfie with, with Benjamin Mendy and the header was a fabulous header yes though. it was yeah um, but that's a, a fair way to long jump over the line <laughs> yeah up until then it was kind of I was thinking oh, his teammates might be a bit annoyed that it's the Tom Pope show and, and then it becomes oh no he's actually quite a despicable person mm. so. he also has been it should be said he, in the past he was banned for a game for suggesting that um, disabled fans shouldn't go to watch the game and should stay at home so, good lord uh, yeah I mean some form for this sort of dickheadery we can't have nice things can we no well, not, not if people are then doing not nice things no, no. alright anyway so uh, Man City go through and on Tuesday looks a lord it's the Manchester Derby United who beat City only a month ago at the Etihad but at Old Trafford have a rotten record against their neighbours 
Matt, what's your view on Tuesday's clash? I, I think I'm in a minority of one in that I really enjoy that the League Cup semi-finals are played over two legs. I think it, it tends to lead to some some really great ties. And this one in particular, I think United can kind of say, well, the pressure's on City because City doesn't look like they're going to win the Premier League. And, and you know, we know that their ambition is to win everything that they're in. United, certainly outside of the club, seem to be viewed as, as tragicomic uh, and not expected to, to get much in terms of results. So I think that actually they could go into this with less pressure on them than Manchester City. Maybe that would work in their favour. You know, they, they were poor against Wolves, but were they saving players for this, which is deemed the bigger game for them against their biggest rivals and, and you know, one tie away from, from being in the final of a competition? If, if you know, they're still fifth in the Premier League. If, yeah. if they manage to squeeze into the top four, or even if they don't, if they put a, a trophy on the table, then then that will keep Robin Van Persie quiet for a bit. <laughs> Clearly, the the um, the standout feature of of United's victory over City from a month ago was their ability to to counterattack City, which they, which they did basically at will, um, and which City ultimately had no answer to. It's been interesting to note that in the last few matches. Guardiola started testing out this new system with a back three, um, which seems to be designed purely uh, or almost purely with the goal of making City more counter-attack proof. Um, So I suspect United may well approach that game with the same intent of allowing City to have the ball and hitting them on the break. But I think City are now probably um, better placed to to resist that sort of tactic than they were um, prior to that game a month ago. All right. How much impact will this have on you know, Solskjaer's credit rating at Old Trafford. Well, it could have a, a really positive impact if he manages to beat Manchester City and then go on to win the final. I guess it will it will depend if he gets James Madison in time in swap for uh, for Jesse Lingard, which right. in, in no way seems like a, a ludicrous <laughs> proposal. But, I mean, it could be enough to save his job. If United win the Carabao Cup, having knocked out Man City en route, then right. Solskjaer becomes... Unsackable, and also the fans will give him some credit for that. Whereas, if they go out and if the the season continues as it has been, one step forward, two steps back, we're going to be exactly where you know we are now by the end of the season. And those calls for him to be, you know, axed will will only get louder, particularly while Mauricio Pochettino remains out of a job. Okay, uh, James Madison, meanwhile, will be in action on Wednesday night as Leicester take on Aston Villa. Are you going along to that? I am indeed. Day? Yes, yeah, uh, and this is you know. If, Right today. You might get a Tannoy announcement there asking if anyone can line up for Aston Villa. Yeah, they've got crisis. huge injuries and reports that Joe Hart might be going as, as the Tom Heaton cover. Um, I just think on Leicester, uh, their progress under Brendan Rodgers is being judged on understandably on their league form, but you know, they've brushed aside Wigan in the FA Cup and they're in a, a, an AFL Cup semi-final of which they're pretty heavy favourites to win and reach the final. And for all the brilliance of getting in the Champions League again, Actually, having that trophy, Leicester have only won four trophies in their history. So if you can win a major honour, that's how you really cement a legacy. That We know that was the whole argument about Pochettino and Tottenham. But at a club like Leicester, they should take any chance they can to win a trophy. And why not? Right, but there's some pretty interesting midweek fixtures for you. And very shortly, we're going to be talking a little bit about some continental news. The team that went 6,000 miles to their game, Tom. And also, what happened to Zlatan's statue? For all of that... Oh, here comes producer Ben with his mate Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. Well, what a weekend that was in the FA Cup. We're not going to talk about that now, though. Are we, Lee Price from Paddy Power? We're going to look ahead to what's going to happen for the rest of 2020. Lee, let's start, please. Who is going to win the Player of the Year? Well, this one is tight, but as per the Premier League itself, we think Liverpool will come out first above Man City in second. Sadio Mane is the favourite here, 6-4, to four, above the mercurial, brilliant, but ultimately runner-up, we expect, Kevin De Bruyne, who's 7-2. to two. Could there be value, though, in Trent Alexander-Arnold? Everyone's raving about him at the minute. It's voting time soon, I believe, and he's 8-1 to one to be named Player of the Year. Virgil van Dijk is 20-1, to one, just in case. Interesting choice. What about the Manager of the Year? Well, I have to tell you, I got short shrift when I asked the number wizards to price this one up for me. Although the guy who replied, I suspect, has Liverpool leanings. So that could explain a few things. But he tells me this is a run race, done deal, all over. Jurgen Klopp is 1-20 to to be named Manager of the Year. And the field, i.e. anyone else, is 12-1. to I wonder if perhaps Chris Wilder might have a thing or two to say about that. And Lee, one calendar year is over. We can start talking about another one. But nevertheless, who is going to be the top scorer for the season 2019-2020? 
Good news for Gareth Southgate, it's an Englishman we make favourites win this. Bad news, it's an Englishman who's retired from international duty. Because, of course, it's current top scorer Jamie Vardy we make favourite, who's 6-5 to five to win the Golden Boot. Harry Kane is second favourite, and he's a determined sort, especially when it comes to goals. He's 5-1 to one to win it. And then after him, you've got Mohamed Salah and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, both at 13-2. to two. Raheem Sterling's 9-1. to one. Marcus Rashford's 10-1. to one. Sergio Aguero and Sadio Mane are each 11-1. to one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18's only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Ooh, WSL came back on Sunday. And yes, Sam Kerr debuted and assisted. Am I right, Matt? Sort of assist, yeah. yeah. She, her shot was saved and came out to Guro Wright and he beautifully lobbed it over mm-hmm. the, the Reading goalkeeper. One of the um, best goals you'll see outside the FA Cup, certainly. This weekend, we spoke about Sam Kerr's impact that she could potentially have on, on the league on on Thursday, but it is such a big statement signing. I really can't wait to um, see her play in the flesh. Right, three one-in kit, obviously. <laughs> that sounds wrong. Also sounding wrong, Arsenal beating Birmingham 2-0 with a score sheet that read Little and Nobs. Right. Well, at least that's two things to edit out. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be enjoying that in the offside rule. WSL edition, that's out on Monday. Ricardo Mantio, hello to you. Got to mention the below in the next pod. A 6,000-mile journey was worth it for J.S. Saint-Pierroise, an amateur side who play on the island of Réunion, as they shocked French second division side Niort to reach the last 32 of the French Cup. Oh, my goodness, that's a cup upset, Tom Williams. It is indeed, yes. Um, only the second team from outside the French mainland uh, in the history of the, the French Cup um, to reach uh, this round of the trophy. Who were the first? ASC Le Geldar de Kourou, who are uh, from Guyana. Um, oh, nice. And they... So basically, sorry, just to interrupt. So ba- so no, you, you're probably about to explain the same point, but I was going to ask, do all the kind of French dependencies or whatever the current term would be provide amateur sides at some level of their cup? Yeah, like the same as the early qualifying rounds in the FA Cup. Those take place on a regional basis around France. And ordinarily, by the time we get to this stage of the competition, they've all been eliminated. But every now and again, one manages to still be in the competition. Uh, and so they get flown over to the mainland uh, for their Who moment in the spotlight. Do the, does the French FA take care of that? Yes. Yeah. 6,000 miles. Such a long journey. They'll be pleased it wasn't all for New York, I yeah. suppose. Oh! That's it. I'm out. Thanks. Thanks, right. guys. That's amazing. So when's the last 32? Do they hang around in France or are they going to fly home and then come back? They will be flying home and coming back, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, they've got league fixtures to fulfil in, oh. the, in the Réunion top flight. Right. Uh, also worth mentioning, oh, yeah. Saint-Privé-Saint-Hilaire uh, of the amateur fourth tier mm. who defeated Toulouse, bottom club in Ligue 1, right. um, who've now gone 10 uh, straight defeats and who sacked their coach, Antoine Comboire, this morning. Did they? As a consequence. Right. Serious business, the Cups. Spain, they're back playing again. Gareth Bale got a start as Real Madrid beat Getafe, 3-0. They've gone level with Barcelona now because Barcelona drew in the derby, 2-2. Yeah, Woulet scoring for Espanyol in a last-minute equaliser, which is... The Chinese player. Exactly, and it is a, I mean, it is a big deal for, for La Liga for, for him to influence a game against Messi um, because, obviously, he, he's incredibly marketable in in China and you know quite often with with La Liga they've had the thing with the with the it was the Saudi Arabian players wasn't it that were coming over and they were kind of parachuted into various squads and it it felt like a bit of a, a futile exercise or a, an exercise in PR more than football but actually Wee is is very much holding his own in La Liga right hashtag breaking okay Nior have just sacked their coach after their defeat in the Coupe de France who was none other than Pascal Planck who, apart from having one of the best names in French football, is the former assistant of Claude Puel. Right. What a uh, Plonk. Puel and Plonk. Mm. What a wonderful French detective yeah. agency. Has he ever worked is. at Bordeaux at all? <laughs> uh, not yet. Okay. French football's the best, isn't it? You've isn't got it? teams like isn't Toulouse, men like Blanc, Brest as well. Fantastic. You know, it was a time when Nice, Brest and Nancy were all 11th, 12th and 13th, I think, in the table, which um, which was great. Disappointing. Right. City so, yeah, our heydays are on their way back because Zlatan's back. I know you did a big Zlatan thing, but he's actually going to play uh, last week in the show. But he's actually going to play on Monday. 
uh, which is tremendously exciting. It's I think it's two o'clock in the afternoon UK time. What's going on here? Well, this is a big day in the, the Italian kind of festive calendar is La Bifana, the the Epiphany, uh, and it's as for some Italian families, it's it's as big a celebration, a bigger festival as, as Christmas is. That's when you get your stocking with your lump of coal or. You know, if you've been bad or whatever it might be, if you'd be good. I never found that out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's the traditional comeback day for Syria. And comeback they are going to. Mm. With Juve taking on Cagliari. Cagliari, the surprise side of the season so far. That'll be interesting. Napoli against Inter. Napoli, of course, now under Gennaro Gattuso taking on an Inter side who are on fire. And uh, especially Milan, Sampdoria. Milan, who are in all sorts of trouble and ended the year on that 5 0 thrashing by Atalanta. What was Latan mean? As he returns, everyone thinks straight away into the starting lineup against uh, Claudio Ranieri's Samp. I don't know, but we're going to find out, hopefully together, listener, on Monday afternoon. You've got bad news, though, about Zlatan's statue. Well, I'm not sure it is bad news. It depends uh, how you feel about Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the first place. But yes, the statue of him that was erected outside the stadium of. Malmö, his uh, former club, right. um, has been uh, felt in in the manner of that the Saddam Hussein statue uh, that would topple to the ground. Really? Um, in, I mean, it's not quite the same size. Basically, <laughs> it's had its ankles uh, sawn through Ooh. and been pushed over. This uh, in reaction to his decision to invest in local rivals Hammerby. Because they which cut is the angered. nose off previously. They, yeah, so they cut the nose off. They set it on fire. They hung a How toilet lid. What's it made of? Bronze, I think. Um, it's quite a medieval approach to doing it, a sort of hung, drawn and quartered yeah. approach to taking down the statue. Mm. And Malmo have said that they're going to send it away for repairs and then bring it back and and re-erect it. So it'll need titanium cladding, you'd have thought, to withstand um, the, the punishments that are probably waiting for it. You'd have thought, if you'd have had any sort of security guard near it, it must take quite a long time to saw through two legs of a bronze statue. Mm. Maybe prevention might be better than cure in that. Situation. It's an extraordinary story. Sounds like an inside job, really, doesn't it? Well, we'll keep up to date with uh, all the further developments on uh, Zlatan's statue, the one outside Malmo Stadium, not the one that's going to be turning out for the Rossen area. Because hey. <laughs> he's old now. Brilliant. <laughs> but that uh, brings us to the end of today's uh, very special early edition of the Totally Football Show. Hey, you know what? We might as well just do this every Monday. Uh, super. Many thanks for being with us, Daniel Story. Thank you for having me. Matt Davis Adams. Pleasure. And Tom Williams. A pleasure. And producer Charlie for uh, pressing the buttons that matter. Listener, if you've enjoyed, don't forget to subscribe and, you know, give us a rate if you like, but subscribe. And that way, this will pop up first thing in your phone or listening device of choice on a Monday morning, ready for you to enjoy. We'll be returning at a more regular hour on Thursday. So why not make that part of your slightly after midweek experience for now from all of us here? It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.